Let's go. Let's roll. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I can't even believe I get to sit across from Michael Easter to talk about his book, The Comfort Crisis, which has sold over 100,000 copies. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here in the chat. I love the book. I learned so much from it. And it was such a cool read, the format that you have. So, but before we dive in, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? You have done so many things, author, professor, adventurer. Tell us about you. Yeah, so I um, I actually grew up in Utah. Then I um, went into journalism. So I went, to, when I was an undergrad, I thought I wanted to be something with like natural resources maybe. And then I realized I really liked to write. I'd always been raised mm-hmm. around books and stuff. And so I went to grad school for journalism. I worked in magazines. Uh, I was on staff at a big magazine for maybe seven, eight years. And uh, yeah, and then I took a job at UNLV here in Las Vegas uh, in the journalism department teaching. So I'm a professor there. And so half of my job is professing, teaching, and then the other half is continuing to write. So it's it's a good little setup. Yeah, I like it. Do you find that a lot of your students have read your book? A handful have. I mean, more of them have heard me on podcasts or seen me in YouTube clips, um, stuff like that. But uh, I I actually did. It was interesting. I taught a uh, adventure journalism class over the summer. So Hmm. I would always hate it when I would always hate it when professors assign their own books. But I'm like, no, you should. Is like I can't like uh, I can tell you why I did certain things. Like it's going to be a better teaching experience. So I know at Mm -hmm. least. at least 20 of my students have read it who were in that class. So (laughs) that's a start. I adventure journalism is a genre that I didn't really realize. And I follow Alistair Humphreys, who has a similar vibe to you. He's like this cool looking guy and he does all these cool adventures and he writes about them. And then he also reads a lot of books in that vein. And I didn't really realize that there were so many books out there like that. And so I have joined in. I just read a book called The Amazon Woman, and she takes a kayak all the way down the Amazon River. So oh, really? these kind of books are super inspiring. And even if you're not going to go to that level, you still get so much out of them. So I loved the format of yours, though, where you you wove in and out of this huge adventure that you had with all this interesting information that people don't know of. So can you tell us, how did you come on that format and how was it writing like that? Yeah, I mean, so the book, I mean, the sort of big picture of the book, for those who um, don't know, is that it looks at, uh, as the world has become more and more comfortable, we've lost a lot of the things that used to keep us healthy. So, you know, the average person, I think, is relatively comfortable today. You know, we live mm-hmm. at 72 degrees. We have easy, effortless access to food. We don't have to exercise to survive anymore. Um, even just like our noise environment is really loud. Yeah. Uh, all these different things have changed. We, you know, especially with this podcast, it's like, we don't spend that much time outside anymore. We spend right. like 93% of our time indoors. Um, and all these, all these changes and advancements we've had, they've made our lives more comfortable. Now they're great in the grand scheme of time and space, right? But at the same time, by not um, having these sort of discomforts that we that humans used to face in the past, we've lost a lot of the things that keep us healthy. So to get into that idea, um, I did this 30-day trip in the Arctic. So if you read the book, it's uh, as I'm facing these certain discomforts that humans used to face every single day that were just part of life in the past, uh, up in the Arctic, I sort of peel off and explain the science behind them and why they're important and other sort of travels I took learning about them. So for example, um, you know, if I'm, we had a lot of times where it's just like really boring up there. And uh, mm-hmm. so I talk about how boring that was and then um, get into some of the new science of boredom, which is really interesting. And I do that with all kinds of different things in the book. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the, the, what ultimately led to the setup though, is just working in health magazines, realizing that literally everything that I wrote about that improved a person's life, they usually have to go through discomfort for it to work. Right. So if you want to improve your fitness, you have to work out. Working out is uncomfortable. If a person wanted to say, lose weight, they're probably going to be hungry at some point. Right. If uh, you want to improve your mental health, you probably have to unpeel some sort of psychological onion and figure out what the underlying problems are. Um, And that can be uncomfortable. And then I took this, uh, I went hunting off the grid with this guy whose name is Donnie Vincent. And it was only for like five days. 
this is in Nevada, uh, Eastern Nevada. And um, it was just like this experience of having to face all these discomforts that we've just engineered out of our lives. And so, but when I got home, you know, while I'm out there, I'm like, oh man, this is kind of miserable. You know, it's like freezing cold and everything takes effort and blah, 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 blah. All the things we experience when we do like a, you know, long camping trip or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when I got home, I felt great. And it's like, okay, well, what's, what's up with that? Um, I wanted to know. And then you could also, I could also see that like really the main difference here is that my life there was uncomfortable in every way. And my life at home normally is very comfortable. So I just wanted to see how that had changed us as yeah. a species. Well, because it's very counterintuitive. And I liked what you talked about in the book when you would go through, why are we so drawn to comfort? And you explained that. This is what we do because we're trying to make our lives easier and we're trying to expend less energy, but that maybe it's gone too far. Yeah. So that drive, I mean, the, the humans are basically wired to always do the easier thing, the more comfortable thing. And that's because in the past, when we, you know, are evolving in these like rough and tumble, uncomfortable environments, if you could do the next easiest thing, the next most comfortable thing, that would keep you alive, right? Right. You don't want to use any extra effort when you, there's not a lot of food around. Mm -hmm. And when there's not a lot of food around, it always made sense to eat as much as you could when you had the opportunity right? Because right. we would store the extra food on our frame as fat and that would keep us alive. Um, you don't want to be bored because like life was life was trying and you needed to always be working to survive. So if you're just like sitting there for hours and hours doing nothing, like you're not going to make it and on and right. on and on, like temperature changes. You even talked about controlling. Like I liked the sentence I said, give me something I can control or predict. That's what our brains say. And yeah. so anytime you step, even anytime you just step out your front door, you have lost a bit of that control, uh, especially also if you take kids, <laughs> there's no control. <laughs> but it made sense, though, why we're so drawn to those different things, because in the past, that would have helped our survival. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why you see the um, numbers on the time people spend outside being mm-hmm. so low is that, you know, the out, the outdoors is unpredictable. Right. People do not like unpredictability, uncertainty. And when you're outside, it's, you know, you're going to have like these temperature swings. It could rain. There could be wild animals. There's like, like all these things you can't yeah. predict. And yeah. so even though we know that it's good for us to spend um, time outside and I go over all this research in the book, we still have this, like this tension, right? It's like, on one hand, we don't like what we can't predict. On the other hand, going into these somewhat unpredictable environments is really good for us. So it's like, mm-hmm this trying to resolve that tension. Right. And one of the things that you talk about then is, does our happiness depend on being comfortable? Yeah. I mean, the answer is, is no. Um, so you need, I mean, you need a certain amount of comfort, right? Um, mm-hmm. You need, like, it's obviously good to have, like, know where your food is coming from, have shelter and all this stuff. But once you get too much of those things, you start to, people start to become unhappy. All right, so we need a certain amount of pushback, a certain amount of challenge, certain amount of discomfort to um, find like psychological well-being. Like humans don't do well when we're never challenged, when we're never like striving for something and overcoming. We just we just don't, right? If everything yeah. is too easy, you start to see that we get haywire, and this is why you see that um, since you know you talk a lot about children here, the children who have the highest um, rates of mental health problems, they tend to be the ones who had everything done for them, all the challenge removed from their lives. And this is why, um, for example, the um, kids who get in the most trouble with the law, they are the kids who are at the very, very lowest end of the economic spectrum. And these kids are like doing illegal things to survive. And they're also at the very, very highest end of the economic spectrum. They're the really rich kids who like just have never had to struggle and have had everything given to them. So they go out and they just, they're trying to find stimulation through like being a pain and like getting in trouble, you know? Wow. It's interesting. You brought up this concept that I had never heard of called comfort creep. Can you talk about that? Problem creep, comfort creep, yeah. super interesting. <laughs> yeah. So there's these uh, this scientists at Harvard I talked to who discovered this. Um, he's a psychologist. Basically, I mean, the short of it is that the human brain evolved to look for problems. <laughs> so as we experience fewer and fewer problems, 
we don't actually become more satisfied. What we end up doing is we just look for the next problem to solve. Now, in the past, this would have kept us alive, right? But today, I think we can all agree that the world is generally getting better, especially over the last larger timescales. Um, you know, like you're less likely to be to starve right now, to like be under some dictator, on and on and on, all these things. Mm-hmm. But when you poll people, I think only six, it's either 12 or 6% say that the world is improving. And that's because our our brain is constantly scanning wow. for problems. So this also applies to comfort as well. Whereas it's like, what happens is that we just sort of adapt to our situation. And then we look for anything like less than it becomes like completely unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Sense? And you say today's comfort is tomorrow's discomfort. It's so interesting. The, this talk about moving the goalposts and life does seem like that. It was very eye opening. You think, well, yeah. my life should seem easier now. And why doesn't it? But it's because we're moving that goalpost. And I thought it was such a good thing to be aware of. So you went on this incredible adventure and your storytelling of it was fantastic. The cold, the plane, the little moguls. I don't I can't remember what they were called. Actually, I wrote it down. Oh, I learned tussocks. the tussocks, tussocks. Yeah, the tundra. Yes. And you went on this adventure and it was completely out of your comfort zone. So can you tell us a little bit about that and some of the high points and a couple of the low points? Oh, it's such yeah. a great story. That really happened. You really did it. Yeah. So we're out there for like, so we were in a place called the No Attack National Preserve. And it is uh, maybe like 150 miles away um, up into the Arctic Circle. Um, so wow. it's in Alaska. And, you know, I'd never done been anywhere like that, not to mention for more than a month. And I mean, so the idea of it being challenging and out of my comfort zone, I mean, it started before we even got there. To get out there, I had to get into this plane that's like the size of a pack of gum. <laughs> and, you know, the the pilot's like sitting in between my legs. This thing is so small. And it just like, you know, putters out into uh, across the tundra. It's like, put, 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 put. I mean, it's like a lawnmower, right? Um, wow. And then the guy just like drops us off. And it's like me and um, two other guys. So we had ferries back and forth. And so even that, I'm like, oh, my God, like I hate flying, especially in this little contraption. Mm-hmm. And even within the first uh, couple days, like we almost lost our shelter to like this crazy, crazy windstorm. And that would have been totally dangerous, you know? So it's right. like everything we did out there, um, it took effort and I could never be warm. I just, and I was coming from Las Vegas. So like my body's adapted to the like yeah. August, September heat of Las Vegas. And now it's like negative 40. Like I just couldn't get warm. Um <clears throat> Yeah, like just getting from point A to point B, like the ground is super hard to walk on. It's always cold. It's always windy. Um, We only packed in so much food because, you know, you have to carry everything. Right. So you just start to get hungry, like super hungry for like an extended period of time, which is totally weird in the grand, like today, right? It's like when I'm at home, like I might be hungry for like an hour. Yeah, and that, right. And that was one of the interesting things that you brought up that I, that really stuck out to me was that you said, well, I've done hard things before. I've done intense workouts. I've done these different things, but I've never done something at this level for this long. Yeah. You can't escape it. So a good example would be like, um, one day, super, super cold day. We had to do this like river crossing in the morning and, um, then our boots like froze after, and we had hiked like 12 miles, maybe out. We had to hike back to camp and like, on the way back, I'm just like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm done, you know. I didn't even realize, like, if I was at home and on a hike, yeah, you can't be done. I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't even get on, like, an emergency rescue there because there's nowhere for a plane to land. You know, like, I would still have to hike to a place that was, like, flat enough for a plane to land. So it's really one of those. And the other thing is, like, wow, it, it's below zero out. Like, when the sun goes down, it's going to get even colder. Like if I decide to stop, like you're literally going to die. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, oh, I guess yeah, I will so be you're continuing pushed. on with this. <laughs> <hike."> <laughs> yeah, you say there's no way out. And actually, I think 
people ask a lot of times, we were trying to just get kids outside. Mm-hmm. We're getting outside as a family. And I think a hike is one of the best things to do because you are stuck out there. And yes. this is obviously on a much smaller scale, but it's a mile, it's two miles, it's five miles. You're stuck and you have to finish. No one's coming in to rescue you. And so I always think that's a great way to start to add in extra time because you have to finish. And I agree 100%. Yeah. That's something I actually tell people a lot is, um, you know, if people do a lot of stuff in the gym where they're on a treadmill, it's like, well, you can just like, you plan 30 minutes, but when you're at minute 20 and you're like, oh, this sucks, I'm bored. You just hit the stop button. If you were to go do that same walk on a trail, yeah, you still got, you got to make it back to the car. Right. So you're right. Yes. And that's interesting because you had quoted Katie Bowman in your book. And I love Katie. She's got that nutritious movement and she's got fantastic Mm -hmm. books. But I've read a couple of hers, but I'm reading one now that talks about, she talks about, I think she calls it overground walking, that there actually is a difference between being on the treadmill and being outside. Yes. For a lot of different reasons, both the calories that it burns, but also the brain engagement. Mm-hmm. because you're talking about you're trying to step over these tussocks can you tell people what those were yeah just like imagine hell no i'm just kidding <laughs> um, so the the arctic ground is uh it, it's covered in these things called tundra tussocks so the ground is basically i mean it's frozen but it's it, depending on the time of the year it's it can be like kind of half frozen and swampy but it's covered in these things called tundra tussocks and they're these big they're like a basketball that's like half inflated you can kind of think of it as oh, and it's just like this mound of um ton, like grass basically mm-hmm. so as you walk you have to figure out like am i going to step around the tussocks, um, which is kind of like soft. So when you, when you're trying to like push off, it's kind of like walking in beach sand, right? So like you can never really get momentum or am I going to step on one of these tussocks, which is a little bit firmer, not totally firm, a little bit firmer, but it's also like a ball. So you're like at these weird angles all the time. So that's kind of a long way of saying, wow, walking out on the tundra, like a mile on the tundra is like five to 10 on normal ground. Like it is just Mm -hmm. so terrible to walk on and you, you'll be walking for like an hour and you're like, okay, how far do you think we've gone? Like maybe a mile, like maybe it's just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But that's engaging everything. It's engaging your mind. You're having to think about where you're going to step. It's engaging all of these different muscles because you're having to balance. And so it's an interesting thing that she talks about and you talk about which is there is this difference about being out on a trail. And Katie would say, if given the choice between nothing and a treadmill, I choose a treadmill, but they're not equivalent Mm -hmm. in terms of experience and all sorts of things. Yeah, I think, I mean, like she's definitely right that um, walking on trails burns more calories generally. Um, Something like I saw, I include a stat in the book that says like 28% more Mm -hmm. on average. Also, you're probably going to encounter more hills, more ups and downs. Um, I talked to a researcher who's this anthropologist, and he's done some really interesting studies where his argument is that if you think about how humans evolved to exercise, I mean, first of all, we didn't ever exercise in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, exercise is something we invented in the last hundred years when we realized like, oh, we now have these sit down jobs and we seem, right. they seem to be hurting our health. So we need to start just like moving for the sake of it to be healthy. That's basically what exercise is. Right. So if you think about how humans moved in the past, it was often hunting and gathering, right? That's kind of how we lived. And so when you're doing that, that isn't just an act of walking or running to covering ground or carrying stuff to cover ground. You're having to figure out where you're going. Mm-hmm. You're having to figure out like what type of ground you should walk on and how you're going to walk on it. Sort of like me when I was on the tussocks, like every single step is a, a, a decision, mm-hmm. but I can't be mindless. Like I could on a treadmill, like watching, you know, dog, the bounty hunter or whatever, right. like each thing is a decision. Yeah. And you're also having to think about your environment around you. You're having to calculate for weather. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like um, the act of moving in the past was as much of a a brain workout it was a, as it was a physical workout. Right. And now when you think about how people work out today, if you're in a gym, it's, it's not really a brain workout. Right. right? So like, right. yes, you're getting that f- physical element to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but you're probably not working your brain at the same level. Mm-hmm. And this researcher I talked to thinks that there's a strong argument for thinking, okay, how can we how can we add like a brain stimulus back into the type of exercise that people do? Because it seems to be 
neuroprotective, which is a dorky way of basically saying good for your brain over the long term, mm -hmm. potentially help you um, not get things like Alzheimer's and dementia yep. and stuff like that. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to know. I think those things give you a lot to think about and a lot to consider. And you have this statistic in here, you know, piece of information that a 20 minute stroll can cause profound changes in the neurological structure of our brains that can leave us feeling calmer and shaper uh, with shaper and more productive creative minds. And then you said, but people who use their cell phone on the walk saw none of those benefits. That's interesting. This book is really interesting, Michael. I got so much out of it. And also, that's just a small piece of time. 20 minutes is not very long. And there was yeah. another small one about the silence. You had said two minutes of silence. Let me see if I can find it because I have a whole lot of notes here. But that two minutes of silence does so much for you. Uh, okay, you're going to have to fill in for me until I can find it. So I'll, t I'll talk about the um, yeah. 20 minutes thing. Yeah, talk about that. And that's, only, that's only three times a week as well, which I think is really interesting. So, and that's also at, um, when we say outside, we're not talking about like I'm miles in the back country, right? We're talking about like a city park or even a really tree lined street. So that's part of a wow. concept called the nature pyramid, which basically looks at um, the benefits of different amounts of time in different types of nature. So that's sort of like the bottom of the pyramid basically saying, and that's from, that's kind of, that's been shown through a lot of research, but the specific study that I talk about in the book is from the university of Michigan. And it was just like, yeah, go outside for like at a park for like 20 minutes, a few times a week. And we found that, Oh, like people who do that are a lot calmer. And they had like, yeah. they were more productive when they got back to the office, they were like all these really good things happened, but the reason why if you bring your cell phone, it cancels out all the benefits is because what, like, what are you doing with your cell phone? Your like your attention is focused on this thing that is basically work. You're getting these things that are like emails, meeting requests that can be stressful. You're, you're like, you're looking at more Instagram reels. You need time where like, you're just kind of like taking in the outdoors, right. Yeah. And just like letting your attention and mind go where it needs to go and not zoned in on your phone. Now, I always tell people like, if you're going into the outdoors, um, take a phone, but just put it in airplane mode and put it in your backpack. Because mm -hmm. I also don't want people to be like, oh, well, 
This book tells me that if I have a cell phone in the outdoors, that it cancels out the benefits. So I'm leaving my phone at home. And then like, you know, you get out there 10 miles and you roll an ankle and like, you need, yeah, help you need like, it. I, yeah. I like, um, I think Cal Newport, he has a book called digital minimalism and he talks about like, put it in a place where it's hard to access, put it at the bottom of your bag, yes. that type of thing, which yeah. is a little tool. I think that is really helpful, but I liked this concept of 20 minutes. It's not very long. And instead of doing it on the treadmill, consider getting outside because there's going to be all of these benefits. And in that vein of things that don't take much time, you talk a lot about silence. And you have the sentence of two minutes of silence led to the bigger drops uh, in measures of relaxation, like blood pressure and breathing compared to other techniques. So you say silence is more relaxing than the things that people are trying to sell us that are relaxing. I've actually, um, in all that I've read, you've got a bunch of books back there. I like to read I've never read about silence and its relation to our health and our well-being and where do we find it. So can you talk about that? And the there was a chamber where there's no noise. So many interesting things. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I started thinking about this because the Arctic is unbelievably silent. I mean, you stand there because there's nothing within hundreds of miles. Wow. Uh, you'll stand there and you start to hear your heart beating. And I don't mean it's just like, boom, boom. Like, you know, we can sometimes hear that today. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Wow. I mean, it's loud. You can hear um, wow. like your blood running through certain areas. Like it's crazy how silent it is. Um, but I felt super calm. Like at first you're weirded out. Mm -hmm. You're going like, oh my God, this is creeping me out. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, this is really nice. And this sort of my experience dovetails with what you see in research too. And that's that most people right off the bat, because we've made the world so loud now, like that we've increased the world's loudness twofold. Most people live in the amount of noise that is like being next to a working dishwasher. It's like 70 decibels or wow. something. Um, and noise tends to stress us out. So we've adapted to a high level of noise. Mm -hmm. So when that goes away, we're like a little bit weirded out. But once you go through that discomfort, people start to really calm down. You start mm -hmm. to see stress levels go down. You start to see all these good things happen. Because when you think about it in the past, I mean, we evolved in environments more like I was in, in the Arctic and any loud noise was probably Ooh. bad news. <laughs> that was probably a tiger lurking in the bushes. It was probably a rock slide. It was probably a storm coming in, right? So oh, our yeah. brain evolved to associate loud noises with uh, bad things and they were still react accordingly today. Yeah. And um, you brought up the quietest uh room there's this the world's quietest place in the world is this room in minnesota it's called an anechoic chamber so like it's this contraption room they build where it's just completely silent and what they found is you can take people who have something like ptsd mm -hmm. put them in this room and again like the first part they're like this is so weird because it's so quiet but then they come out and they're like oh my God, I feel like so much better. Wow. So they're going to start to actually do research around that, like using wow. rooms like that and complete silence as a way to help people who have wow. issues like that. So Michael, now that you're back home, and I know you go out and do these adventures somewhat regularly and you're out walking and that, that sort of thing. How are you finding silence in your day-to-day -day life, in your busyness, in your work week? Where are you finding those pockets of silence? Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I would say I don't, uh, I don't, keep the TV on just to have it on, which I think a lot of people do. That's a pretty common thing. Yeah. More than half of people just keep the TV on. Uh, I don't have music on just to have it on. Yeah. Uh, I get up and I do my best work very early in the morning. So from like 4am to 7am, I'll write. And that's just like completely silent. Wow. Um, and then if I go and take a walk, um, which I usually do every day for maybe 20 minutes outside, I usually don't listen um, to anything. Hmm. Like I totally consume podcasts and everything when I like work out in my gym and stuff like that. So like, I'm not saying at all, like you should just not listen to anything ever. Like, no. Well, but this is, I mean, message. this is the point. It says two minutes. So you really are only right. looking for a small pocket of time and interesting yes. that you had in there. This is why this book is fascinating. So many things. Silence is more calming than listening to Mozart. So it's all these sort of counterintuitive things, maybe things that we've gleaned in our lifetime, but you should have on classical music. And sure you should, but also there should be time when you don't have classical music and there yeah. should just be this period of nothing. And I, you had this part in there about that these background noises do spur on our fight or flight response. 
And so you said it makes our hormones behave like a slow dripping water torture, this constant noise. So it just uh, makes you mindful of turning it off. And like you said, when you go on your walk, that's a time to have it off or these different periods of time. Yeah. And like, I'm thinking just in terms of um, for moms, you said that that's a big part of your audience. I'm sure that can be hard because you're always watching your kids. And I mean, kids just just make noise, just make noise. Um, But one thing that I'll even do sometimes is, and I don't do this every um, time I commute, but if I have time in the car when I'm alone, I just like, we'll just commute in silence, you know, and it's actually like a good way. And I would imagine for a mom, if you're dropping your kids off and then you're like driving to somewhere else, like, okay, well, I've got like this 15 minute stretch of Mm. aloneness in the car. You know, you don't have to listen to a serious whatever thing you're, you're beaming in all the time. And I'm not saying do that all the time, but I think it would be an interesting thing to experiment just with. Just sometimes. You just need a little bit of it. I've, mm-hmm. I always felt like with my kids, and you have a lot of interesting information here about how nature is so helpful for so many things when you're overstressed and overstimulated and overworked, that nature is so helpful. But I always felt that with my young kids, especially that nature sort of absorbed that sound. Um, the only time where I ever got a little bit of quietness in my soul and sort of the this peaceful feeling was when we're out in a big field and they're running and it's not bouncing off the walls and the sound is just sort of floating to the heavens or something. And and you do get, it's not completely quiet, but I think it gives you those feelings of peace because something is absorbing the sound. And, and yeah. also kids get quiet because they get engaged. Yes. Did you know that the average American child spends 1,200 hours a year in front of a screen and that outside play can boost every area of child development? I have a brand new book launching this December 20th, just in time for the new year called 1000 Hours Outside, Activities to Match Screen Time with Green Time, published through DK Books. This book has everything you need to reset the balance and swap screen time for outdoor fun. Challenge your family to spend 1,000 hours outside with this collection of games, crafts, and activities organized by season to help you find something you can do every day or with hundreds of ideas for all ages, abilities, and family types. No matter how busy you are, this book gives you all the ideas, photos, activity instructions, and inspiration you need to get outdoors with your family all year round. 1,000 Hours Outside, Activities to Match Screen Time with Green Time is available now for pre-order wherever you buy your books. By pre-ordering, you will ensure that you get your copy before the start of the new year. Learn more at 1000hoursoutside.com. Yeah, and I think another thing that's interesting too is um, sounds of nature actually seem to be calming. Yes. So we're surrounded in a lot of sounds that don't make us calm. These are like man-made machine stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But the sounds of nature, like, you know, wind coming through the trees and like birds and creeps and things like that, those actually do seem to be calming. So those are like the small set of sounds that we seem to um, do well with. Yes, the waves, the wind blowing, that type of thing. So it really helps when you're a parent and you've got young kids and you're living in its constant noise. That time outside can be such a reprieve. So it's really interesting information in there about silence. And okay, I want to make sure I do not mispronounce Miss Misogi. You're close. <sighs> Misogi. Oh, I was close. Misogi. Yeah, you're very close. Misogi. Closer than most people. Okay. All right. Good. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that. Tell us what that is. And you talk about that quite a lot in your Instagram, in your reels and different yeah. things. Uh, but this is something that I'd never heard of before reading your book. Yeah. So I, uh, I learned it from this guy whose name is Marcus Elliott. And he's this, uh, he's a sports scientist who has really revolutionized sports and um, human movement and all these different things. He's got all these contracts with all the different leagues. But he, his basic argument is that, you know, when you think about how humans evolved in the past, we used to have to do hard things all the time. We'd be challenged. These would just be inserted into our lives. Yeah. And we'd have to get through this challenge. And each time we would go through one of these challenges, we would learn something about what we were capable of, right? We'd get pushed out onto the edges of our comfort zone. And by being there for a while, our comfort zone would expand. Yeah. But we don't have that anymore, right? Life doesn't like thrust you into some like do or die scenario very often. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we probably lose something by not going through situations like that, by not really being challenged, you know, being in a situation where we're like, oh man, I want to quit, but I got to keep going. So the idea of Misogi is basically that we're going to re, we're going to engineer these into our life. So once a year, he does this thing called Misogi and I've started to do it too. 
And the idea is that you're just going to go outside and you're going to do something, just make something up. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or formal um, that you think that you have a true 50-50 shot at completing. So 50-50 shot. Because now when you think about how people take on physical challenges, we usually know that we're going to finish. Right? Yeah. If, you, if a person runs a half marathon, they don't go, I don't know if I can finish the half marathon. Wow. They usually say, I don't know if I can finish it in two hours or whatever their time goal is, right? You know, you're going to finish. Yeah. We rarely have these things where we're like, no, there's a good chance I could fail. So hmm. by doing this, you kind of get, you're going to have these moments where you want to quit, where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I got to quit. But if you can keep going, then you can look back and say like, oh, well, I thought I was like totally done, that that was my edge, but I'm clearly past it. So I've sold myself short, wow. obviously. And then the important Takeaway though is the question, okay, well, where else in my life am I selling myself short? Because hmm. I've done that here in this one instance. Like there's probably a lot of areas. Yeah. Right. And you can take that back into your normal life. And I think you can be better for yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting. I actually thought about it. We, <laughs> we, my life is completely different than yours. We, you went to the Arctic for 30 days. I took our five kids with my husband and we had two extras. We took them kayaking down a river. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, nice. you know, it's like, okay, well, there, I mean, we're going to make it, I, you got to make it to the end, because we had someone else's kids too. So you got to make sure that you mm -hmm. return them in one piece. But I was out there on this river, and everyone's complaining, and our youngest was crying, and the river moved a little faster than we were expecting. So we thought she would be fine. We had a tire to our kayak. And they're complaining and their fingers are cold. And I, I thought about your book because I was like, this is really challenging. And this is pushing us yeah. a little bit to our limit. And I think it looks different in these different stages of life, especially if you're having to drag kids along with you. But then you do what happens then is you do expand because it ended and it was really memorable. I, I almost said fun. I don't know. Um, it was memorable. And then you start to think, well, what other one could I do? What can we go on a longer yeah. river? And then this concept that you talked about, which I read recently, that one of the things that millennial parents want most is time with their kids. And you talk a lot in here about how these novel experiences tend to expand our sense of time and yeah. life moves so fast. So can you talk a little bit about how, how does that work? Yeah. So the brain likes routines. So in the past, if you would have been able to know exactly where your food was going to be, where your shelter was going to be, what weather was like on and on and on, that would provide you with a survival advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Today, we still like routines, yeah. but we don't really have those unknowns like we did in the past. So we still tend to slip into a routine. And what happens when you do the same thing sort of day in, day out, is your brain can enter what these scientists I spoke to call sort of autopilot mode, where instead of sort of being aware of what's going on, you're just kind of like going through the motions, mm -hmm. right? When that happens, your perception of life actually speeds up. So time seems like it goes a lot faster. Yeah. So the answer, yeah. the um, way to combat this is to do new things. Yes. Because when you are yes. in a new situation, you can't predict the future anymore, mm -hmm. right? Your brain has to be like, uh-oh, I got to figure this out. This is new. I've never done this before. So you have to be like present, aware, and focused. It's almost like productive meditation. You could think about it. Wow. Like, right. Yeah. Forced into when that happens, your sense of time actually slows down. So this is why um, time seems slower when you were a kid, because you're always yeah. learning and doing new things. Like every situation is new. Right. And when you're a kid, it's like 15 minutes seemed like what 15 hours feels like today. Mm -hmm. And so when you're trying to think of like, okay, I have this like one life to live, probably let's assume, um, how am I going to use the most of my time? Yeah. Well, if you're always doing new things, it's like, you're really in it. You're focused, not only that, but you're sort of extending that to feel longer. Mm -hmm. Wow. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. 
I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, Never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. I mean, that is that right there is a motivation to get out and to do new things. And you say, yeah, you remember and you remember the details and it slows down our sense of time. I've been talking to a lot of people about that concept. It's phenomenal. Even that of why, yeah, of why I didn't know why did childhood feel so long? And then all of a sudden these years feel so much shorter. That is fascinating. Are you ever talking about your alcoholism? Oh, yeah. It's in the book. Also, because I, well, I tend to overeat. So it's not like I'm throwing you under the bus because I have my own things. But you talk about numbing out. We all do. And I I think it'd be a a really pertinent topic, especially the world is really stressed right now. And yeah, so for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, I write in the book, it's like, I, you know, I come from this long line of people, especially on my dad's side that um they're drinkers you know and i because of this i'm like yeah i should probably never drink given these genes right and that that was a that was a good idea but i didn't listen to it um and so by the time i was like 28 um even though my life was halfway decent on paper um i was just internally a mess and like each weekend i just drink way too much like i'm one of i'm the type of person like if i have one i have no idea how many more are going to come after that right when you live like that, that is that can put you in some pickles sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Start piling up all these problems. And I tried to quit drinking a ton of times. I mean, uncountable number of every times. Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every Monday, you're just like, no, I'm never doing that again. Um, and then Friday, you're just like, you know, <laughs> so, um, but for whatever reason, one morning I woke up and it was just like very clear to me for some reason that morning where it was like, if I keep doing this thing, even though it's going to be um, the comfortable thing to do, because it's the known path, I can know what to expect. And I know that like, even though I have all these problems, the minute I have a single drink, all those problems go away. Mm. Right? That's like what alcohol does for me. Yeah. Um, but I could also see that was going to end up killing me earlier, you know, and right in the book, it's like, I don't know if that meant that I was going to die when I was like 35 or 55 or 75 or even 95. I just knew it was going to be earlier than it needed to be. Yeah. And then on that sort of other path was that was like the unknown. I was going to be like the uncomfortable enter the abyss. I had no idea what it would be like, but I felt like there was something there for me and that was to get sober. And so whatever, I just felt like 
that was like the opportunity. Mm-hmm. There'd been a hundred, you know, it's like yeah. you play a slot machine a hundred times. It never pays out. And then finally it pays out. And I could see that, Oh, this is the opportunity. I got to try it. And, um, it took, Wow. and, uh, that was, wow. you know, it was the most comfortable thing I've ever done super hard in every way. Um, but I came out from that on the other side. Yeah better in every single way. I mean, ways that you could measure or ways you couldn't measure. And that, that was one of the genesis for the book too, is that this recognition that like, oh, I had to go through absolute hellish discomfort, but by doing that, like proved in every single way. Yeah. And you had to embrace the possibility of failure, which is something that you bring up a lot in your book that our brain wants nothing to do with it. But then you have this sentence that says nothing great in life comes with complete assurance of success. Uh, that's a big statement to embrace the things yeah. where you don't know what might happen. Well, you talk about it. You go back so often and it, it makes it make sense. Like, why are we so afraid of failure? And you talk about it from this perspective of getting kicked out of the tribe. So can you explain that a little? Yeah. Well, like you think of all these different kinds of failures in the past, if it's a million years ago, if you fail trying to get from point A to point B, you could die. Mm-hmm. If you fail on a hunt, you could starve to death. If you fail socially, all of a sudden the tribe is like, you're out of here, bud. See ya. And then you're on your own and you're not going to survive that long on your own. Right. So that, that still today is why people get so, um, so anxious oftentimes, not everyone, but a lot of people get anxious when they talk in front of big groups, because in the past, if all of a sudden every single person's eyes were on you, Mm. I've done something bad where they're like, we are plotting against you. We are plotting against you. So still today, our brains react in a way that's like, uh oh, mm-hmm. I gotta like watch my, you know, I gotta watch my back right now. So yeah, we want to fit in, and failure had a high cost, and so we avoid it. But like you say, so many things come out of the good side of failure. All right, I have something I have to show you. Yes. You ready? Okay, it was my birthday yes. last week, and this is uh-huh. what I re- this is what I requested. Oh yeah, amazing! I love it. I'm so excited. Awesome. You know, it's interesting awesome. the juxtaposition, Michael, of you being on this incredible adventure in the Arctic and the tussocks and the caribou. And, and I learned a lot actually too, which was neat about how caribou ankles have scent glands and caribou antlers grow really fast. And I learned about grizzly bears and they eat moss and all these different things. So you have this interesting piece that you have this huge adventure, but then you talk about walking. And yeah. I kind of love that because it's an entry point for anyone to sort of join in on these smaller, these smaller pieces of it, right? Which is like, can you find a moment of silence? Can, um, can you get outdoors? Can you embrace nature? These type of things. And so here you have this huge adventure, but then you also have this information on walking and a rucking, which I'd heard of a mm-hmm. rucksack, but I never heard of rucking. And you just had your newsletter go out, which is fantastic. I love this concept of the 2%, building better humans 2% at a time. So you have your Uh, the 2% newsletter that goes out each week. And the one that went out today is about rucking. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a lot of moms, they're going to want to know about this. Yeah. So today's um, was on women and why rucking is arguably the best exercise for women. And there's a, there's a handful of reasons for that. Um, One is that, so rucking for those of you who don't know, it's basically just getting a backpack that has something that weighs something in it and going for a walk. Mm-hmm. So why do we do that? Well, one, because it uh, walking improves your heart health, your endurance, right? That's obviously. But if you have a pack that has some weight in it, anywhere from like five to 10 to 20 to 30 pounds, whatever it is, it also works your strength system. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the research on women, um, so the, the government for to back up, it says like to be optimally health- healthy, you need to have um, like 150 minutes of walking or running or whatever a week, but you also need to strength train twice. So women do great at getting the 150 minutes, mm-hmm. not so great at getting the strength exercises in. So rucking allows you to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, You're getting both of those in and meet the guidelines yes. that help you um, stay healthy. And then one of the number one problems for women, especially after menopause, is uh, bone density. So women start to lose bone density really, really fast. Well, the research shows the best thing you can do for bone density is to carry weight while walking. Wow. Rocking. 
rocking, right? And so, and and people are like, oh, my bones are dense. Okay, like bummer. No, this is like one of the most important things for health because what happens is when older people fall, if you break a hip after 65 years of age, there's a 50% chance that you will be dead within six months. Wow. Like that is like a huge killer of older women. And so I think really thinking, okay, how can I, what can I do that is relatively approachable? Mm-hmm. If you're already going to go for a walk, just put a little bit of weight in a pack. That's going to help me live better and longer. And I think rucking is a really great way. And I have a couple other points in that newsletter about why wow. it's so good, but I think those are really important ones. So people want to sign up for that newsletter. Where can they sign up? Uh, you can on my website, eastermichael.com. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of links. Yeah. And it's interesting too, Michael, because actually as a mom, if you're carrying your baby and there are so many good packs and things, the baby wearing things nowadays, if you're in that, I wish I would have known this, you know, when my kids were small, it would have motivated me to go for 20 minutes with the baby on my back. And we did a lot of, we do a lot of outside time as a family, obviously. Uh, but it was always, um, you know, we go on a path and we're, we're at this, the speed of a toddler. So I think I would have been more intentional about, I've got this baby on my back that weighs 15 pounds, that weighs 20 pounds, that weighs 30 pounds. I'm going to go for 20 minutes in the morning and just make sure that I'm getting that load bearing exercise. So, but because I don't have the little ones anymore, I got this rucksack for my birthday. So can you tell people about, about that? You have it in the book. Yes. So I, um, in the book, I talked about when you look at what the human body is built to do well, physically, um, we're only good at two things. One of them is sort of running, um, slow distances in the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you read, if you've read the book born to run, it kind of goes over that. Um, and a lot of people still jog, right? Like jogging is a thing we still do that we evolved to do. The second thing that we're really good at is carrying weight over distance. We're the only animals that can do that. It shaped us. It's still like the arguably the best exercise you can do, but very few people do that. So this is where rucking comes in. And really the only people who have adopted this sort of caring and rucking at a large scale is the military. So rucking came up through the military because soldiers are having to move gear into battle, et cetera, et cetera. But it kind of stayed there, right? Till this company called Go Ruck came along and they were like, we want to bring rucking to the average person. And it's founded by uh, a guy whose name is Jason McCarthy. He's now a really good friend. Hmm but he was a special forces soldier and he started wow. creating uh, backpacks specific for rucking and selling um, plates yeah. uh, that are kind of like the iron plates that fit perfectly. In the yeah. Backpack. I have a 10 so pound it's one. Like, it's like a pancake. It's like a thin, you just slide it yes, in. Yes. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so the idea is just basically that they are making this a lot more accessible mm-hmm. and trying to popularize it for the average person because it is so powerful and it's just something yeah. that people haven't really done at scale. So that's part of my charge too, is thinking, how can I get more people rucking? Because a lot of people are running, people are, you know, going to the gym and lifting weights, but like rucking combines those two things. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to flow into your, into your life. It just makes, it makes walking just a little bit harder, but gives you such a larger benefit. But it's just one of those things where you're just like, Oh my God, this is like, the secret sauce and yes. no one's using it. Yes. <laughs> it really changed my life. I mean, what a cool thing. And for the moms who are, whose kids are out of the baby stage, I think it's a fantastic product that you just slide the weight in and then you can increase the weight over time. There is different uh, amounts of weights that you could get to slide into your backpack. And if you're already going to be out doing it anyway, why not just add on that little bit of weight? And you talked about the pressure on your joints, you know, that running is a fair amount of pressure, but if you're going to walk and you just add a little bit of weight, it doesn't add that much pressure to your joints. It helps with back pain, which a lot of people yeah. are dealing with. And so I was thrilled to learn about that. You know, I, they talk about like, um, I had Steven Ronella on our podcast. He does that meat eater show. And he just came out with a book mm-hmm. for kids, getting your kids outside. Yeah. Anyway, it's a fantastic book, but he talks about like being interesting. He had this story about his kids complaining. Why do we have to do this? He's like, you know, basically like, so you're not a boring person when you're older. That's kind of like what he says. But what I love about your book is that it has given me all these interesting things to talk about that people don't know about, that they've never heard of. I'm showing people my rucksack, you know, all these different things about the brain. And um, we didn't even hit, we hit just such a few, a, a sparse amount, but I thought the Dunbar's number was phenomenally interesting about community and loneliness. And anyway, we're out of time. Boredom, dealing with change. I mean, safety. The book is phenomenal. I can see why you've sold so many copies. 
and uh, it's very life changing. So, so you already said real quick, um, it's eastermichael.com. People want to come to your website and you've been mm-hmm. on the Joe Rogan podcast. You are in all sorts of magazines, men's health, outside magazine, obviously a professor and you've been in all sorts of things, scientific American. So people need to be following along with what you're doing because you have all this cutting edge information. The book is The Comfort Crisis, Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self. That's what everybody wants, right? Yes. And they know it's in there. They just That's have to reclaim it. I've got one. I've got two more questions. The first yeah. one is this. You have this sentence in here, and I'm, I'm bringing it up because it's heading into the winter for a lot of families and because they have a lot of parents. You have this sentence that says, cotton will kill you when wet cotton becomes cold and hypothermia sets in. So everyone's asking about what do we wear when it's cold outside and little ones are running around and they're sweaty and they get wet. Why not cotton? Cotton, um, it doesn't move water off your body. So the water sits next to your body. If it's cold outside, the water conducts the cold into your body and you can get hypothermia pretty quick. So the answer, I mean, just for people to think in terms of um, gear for themselves, for their kids, it's generally best to have a pretty light um, polyester or wool layer next to your body that's gonna like pull the moisture away from your body. Um, After that, you might have like a some sort of layer that's maybe it could be a thin down layer it could be kind of a thicker wool layer but again no cotton and then on top of that you basically just want something that's going to block out the water and wind Mm -hmm. so like a rain jacket basically that's kind of like the standard system that's used by everyone from the most extreme mountaineers and navy seal mountain soldiers to like you know everyday people Mm -hmm. should be using right because you spent 30 days and you came back and it was cold but not dangerously cold for you and in fact actually just recently we went to a waterfall in tennessee in september and i was wearing cotton but it was one of those waterfalls you could go underneath so it was fun and it's like that cold water that just like jolts you and wakes you up. So I was already kind of wet and I went yeah. in the whole thing anyways. I, I submerged and I was completely soaked wearing com- all cotton and it was hot out, but I was chilled to the bone. And it was just that reminder that the cotton does not dry. It's sort of stealing your heat, you feel like, and you're very cold. So I thought that was an interesting sentence in your book and very practical. Cotton will kill you when wet cotton becomes cold and hypothermia sets in. So really good advice. We always end our podcast the same way, Michael with a favorite memory of yours from childhood that was outside? Oh, easy. My mom, so my mom, um, single parent, and raised me, I'm an only child. And she started her own company, she's a sales rep, and she did far more well for herself than the average single mother. The average single mother lives in extreme poverty. So I'm not saying that we are rich, I'm saying that we weren't dirt, dirt poor, right? And we never had nice cars because she would save up her money and we would go on an international uh, vacation every single summer. So like she dragged me all over the world and it was a learning experience for us both. And so we had a ton of interesting outdoor experiences through that. Like a particular one that comes to mind is like, we went to Thailand in like the early nineties and um, like hikes through the jungle and wow. a lot of time in like Europe in the mountains. And I mean, it was, it's definitely that being a kid with my mom, um, both of us being like, what are we getting ourselves into? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We it was like your early, I'm going to say it wrong. Miss, Miss, Misogi. Yeah. Yes. Your mom yeah, was so doing it before you were writing yep. about it. That is incredible. Michael, I cannot even express how much I enjoyed your book, how much I learned from it, how cool the format was, just in and out of your story with all these interesting pieces of information that I did not know. So thank you for such a wonderful story. And I can't wait to be getting your uh, the 2% newsletter. And thank you. You're busy. I know you're an author and a professor and a husband and, and an adventurer. So thank you for taking this time with us. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for your careful reading of the book. I think you've maybe read the book better than anyone I've ever talked to on a podcast. So it's awesome uh, to come on here for someone who's like done their research and like the book. Yeah, really love the book. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you.
If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.